What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Critics Corner Podcast. I'm William Locke alongside Joe Sieben, and joining us today is Texas alum David Sanabria here to preview the second college football playoff semifinal, Washington versus Texas. David, how you doing? Excited, nervous for this game? Um, and I mean, is Texas back? I think is the biggest question that that everyone is going to be wondering um, as we preview this podcast or preview this game. Feeling great. I mean, I can't believe they're in the playoff. Um, they went five and seven my first two years of college, even after Joe Tessitore said Texas is back. Fourth year of college, Sam Ellinger said we're back. And then the next year we almost beat the Joe Burrow LSU team and go eight and four. So I think that to answer your question, um, I'm nervous. And I think the back determination, a lot of people would say yes, but I'm going to wait till next year and see how we really fare in the SEC because don't want another mm-hmm. Sam Ellinger situation like we had a couple of years ago. Yeah, that that was quite the interesting time because I'm assuming you graduated. Are you are we Joe's year too, like 2020 around that time? Yeah, I graduated in 2019. 2019. Okay, so yeah, I was a freshman in college when when Texas beat Notre Dame uh, in overtime, I believe, on, on the last play. And yeah, Texas was back then. Texas was back when Sam Ellinger, uh, that was the Sugar Bowl, I believe, said that. Um, and now it, it does feel like Texas is really back, Joe. Um, and and it feels like the program has a lot of momentum um, heading into the SEC. And that's kind of the you know those are our first two storylines here for for this Washington Texas game is. Um, Texas is back at the right time, and this is this. It's a realignment matchup. We have Texas going to the SEC next year, and, and Washington going to the Big Ten. Yeah, hundred percent. I think they're rolling at the right time. They, that game against um, Oklahoma State in the Big Twelve Championship. I mean, they hadn't won the Big Twelve um, outright in the championship in, in quite some time, actually. During this whole, are they back? Are they not? So, I think them winning that the way they did it this season and against Oklahoma State in that title game. Solidifies. I think they are back. You know, they're, they're third in the country here, um, and they're playing their best ball at the end of the season and going to the SEC, where it's only going to get tougher next year. But building this team with, with some guys sticking around, we'll talk about Quinn a lot today, but him sticking around, looking to keep Arch as well, the number one recruit. So they're back. They're playing their best ball, and they're ready to roll in the SEC. I think uh, we'll, we'll chat about their offense and how they're clicking on all cylinders. But the defense, too, is going to be a big portion of their recruiting moving forward, but also a big part of this game of trying to find pressure. Absolutely. And, and this is this game is certainly a stark contrast, I would say, to, you know, the Michigan Alabama game that we previewed where we, you know, the over under is 45, I four, we both kind of predicted a, a low scoring game. You went with the over in that one, um, but but a slight over. I went mm-hmm. with the under. This one feels like it's going to be an offensive battle. Um, David, obviously, Texas OU, I, I'm curious because that, that game was a bit of a shootout, too. And it's obviously the one game that you guys have lost last year. And as a Michigan fan, you know, if we lose to Ohio State, you know, the season really feels like a failure. Uh, Texas gets into the playoff for the first time in program history. Say they, would you consider this this season a failure the way I would if Michigan lost, you know, um, considering you lost to Oklahoma earlier in the year? Or do you think, hey, we, you know, we avenged the Oklahoma loss. We got into the playoff. We won the Big 12 the last year in the conference. Uh, and we made we got in a playoff, maybe made a national championship game. Uh, would you consider this season an unmitigated success if that happens heading into the SEC next year? I'd say it's a success already, just given the track record that the Longhorns have had since 
2009, the last time that they won more than 10 games the regular season. Um, and never went to the Big 12 championship a couple times, never winning it. And then um, even though we had that loss to Oklahoma, it was still just like the best year since I've been a fan for sure. And going to the playoff, going to the SEC, I think the confidence is an all-time high. So, yeah, I'd say it's a success already, even if we do get somehow blown out by Washington. Um, just from where the program was at even two years ago, um, I'd say it's definitely a success. And Sark's got us on the right track, for sure. Yeah, and, and we can talk about Sark because that's certainly one of the, the interesting storylines that I have written down here, Joe. It, it it feels like a bit of a, a redemption arc here for, for Sarkeesian, you know, just dating back to his early days at Washington really turned that program around. I mean, he took them from 0 and 12 in 2008 and then he took over in 2009 and then went to bowl games in, in 2010 and 2013, 2010 through 2013. So really turned that Washington program program around goes to USC. He's kind of the up and coming coach, right? Looking to turn USC around after all of the, the Reggie Bush related sanctions, uh, goes nine and four in 2014, and then three and two in 2015. Uh, before it was announced in October that he would, you know, be taking a leave of absence. We end up finding, you know, out all of the details, and and we don't necessarily have to go into it. Uh, but it kind of looked like he was on the down and out. Takes an analyst job at Alabama for a year, interim OC there as well. Goes to the NFL as an OC, and then back to Alabama as the OC, and and then he comes over to Texas in 2021. And you know, I wouldn't say there was. At least from my perspective, I, I don't say I, I wouldn't think you know people were were viewing Sarkeesian to Texas as an absolute home run hire. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was certainly a good hire, but it, it kind of felt like Sark's last chance at a, at a major program. Uh, he's twenty five and thirteen at Texas now. Uh, it seems like they're like we kind of talked about. There's a lot of momentum around the program. They had the fifth ranked recruiting class uh, for for next year for twenty twenty four. Obviously, he brought in Arch Manning, uh, got Quinn Ewers to transfer over. Um, and, and they had the third rank class last year, so feels like a, a huge redemption arc for Steve Sarkeesian. Um, and uh, you know, this is this is kind of the the peak of that redemption arc. And if he can get over or get a playoff win, uh, I feel like you know the sky's the limit for him and, and this program. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, just where he's taking Texas already, and you look back 10, 15 years ago, being at Washington and and being that up and coming kind of Lane Kiffin esque just brilliant mind on the offensive side of the ball for him and moving Washington around and taking that USC job. I still remember that when he was there and just a really brief, you know, year, year and a half with him there and, and going to USC and, you know, Southern California and the powerhouse there and the expectations. I, I think maybe he wasn't ready for that one quite yet, but he really was that number one name at that time. And, and things just didn't work out. Then he goes, I remember at Alabama when they were just lighting it up with those quarterbacks in 2016 that year. And, and how good he was making the game plan, going to the Falcons, and then going back to Alabama as well, 2019-2020. So you knew he'd be back at a big-time program, especially you know all those saving assistants. He, he gets those great OCs and DCs. Whenever they're in that spot, Alabama's playing well. Those guys just get poached at the end of the day. So he kind of just took a step back, wasn't you know in the spot where he wanted to be the head coach and run an entire team or program. And dominated where he was for those few years, um, you know, after everything at USC. So it's great to see that he's he's healthy, he's happy, he's he's back to doing what he loves and doing it at a very high level. Um, and now here at Texas, a, a pretty quick turnaround time if you think about it. When he went there in 2021, and high expectations, but he certainly delivered this season and, and on the recruiting trail as well off the field, um, specifically with with Arch Manning, the number one recruit. So he's setting himself up for the future and then moving to the SEC, but. 
a pretty cool story is back at the top of the mountain and, and a win uh win on uh January first when we further deliver that one. Yeah, David, I'm curious. I kinda talked about it with Joe or asked Joe about it. Um what was like your reaction when when you you heard that Sark was coming into Texas? Did you think you guys would re- reach the heights that you're at right now? I mean, I think that that was a that was a funny time because I remember that season we were there's a lot of buzz. I don't know if y'all remember this or heard, but there was a lot of buzz that we were going to go after Urban Meyer. That we had a contract in place before we even fired Tom Herman. Um, that that was in the works. I remember uh, my friend who has like the Orange Bloods, like the rivals, message sports accounts, and all these things. Like, oh, here are all these details about Urban to Texas and. It never, it didn't pan out. And I even remember in December, there was some storyline like Urban Meyer says he will not go to Texas, even though Tom Herman was even fired. So I think that that impacted us negative recruitingly, obviously, because uh, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, the kind of schools we get to recruit against, they will say like, well, they, they're about to fire their coach. Why would you go to Texas? And so I remember this athletic director, Chris Del Conte, said something like, Urban, or I'm not Urban Meyer. Um, Tom Herman will be our coach into 2021. And on January 2nd, 2021, it was announced that Tom Herman was fired and Steve Sarkeesian would take over. And I think that it was a sort of like, okay, let's see how this goes. Um, you know, Charlie Strong couldn't figure it out. Tom Herman was better than Charlie Strong, but still wasn't, didn't get us to the heights we wanted to, especially after the expectations we had after that Sugar Bowl win a couple of years ago. So then we'll see how this goes. But that first year was tough. I mean, we started off hot, go up. I think it was like 28 to 7 in the Oklahoma game. And and Oklahoma puts in Caleb Williams. They end up coming back. We go on like a six-game losing streak, lose to Kansas to become bowl ineligible. And at that point, it was like obviously the low of the Sarkeesian era. But I was like, this is Charlie Strong 2.0. Like, what? Like, this just seems like we had it better with Tom Herman. Um, so I think that there's a lot of skepticism at the beginning and then especially after that first year. But after that he got Quinn Ewers a transfer and it's been all the up it's been on um going up ever since then. Like last year was solid, going eight and four, and then obviously this year's been great. So I'd say it was definitely a lot of hesitation at first, thinking that we might get Urban Meyer, but now I don't think anybody would complain about having Steve Sarkeesian when he's gotten us in heights that we haven't since seen since Colt McCoy. Yeah, and I think, for, well, first of all, I think you guys should could have easily had two wins over Alabama. If, if Queen Ears doesn't go down in that game last year, I think you guys win that game at home. Uh, and then second of all, I think a huge advantage for Texas, obviously, in this era of NIL and, and all that is just, you know, there's there's a ton of investment from a Texas perspective, and, and people really care about that football program. Uh, so it's, you know, and a massive advantage um, to have the the kind of interest and, you know, backing um, from from an NIL collective uh, perspective, and you know that's it's really going to help recruiting. We can see it; it's working. They landed, you know, the biggest uh, recruit last year, Arch Manning. We'll see if he stays. I don't know. There are some rumblings around uh, Arch Manning. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's going to, you know, make the move. Uh, but Ewers is coming back next year, so we'll see. Um, so yeah, times are high, or, or you know, things are really good at, at Texas right now. We've established that. Let's talk about Washington because we're about 12 minutes in here and we haven't really said much about Washington. Joe, I think the biggest storyline from a Washington perspective this year, and there's a lot and we'll, we'll get into some of them, but it, it's the Michael Penix Jr. This, the story. You know, it, 2018 tore his ACL, 2019 
season-ending uh, shoulder injury 2020. He had that great season. I remember the the dive to the pylon game uh, against Penn State. Indiana was ranked in like COVID, the, COVID Indiana, right? When they COVID Indiana, they were like they were in like the top ten. Tom Allen was you know the biggest coaching name on the block. Now he's fired. He tore his ACL again that year. Uh, and then last year, twenty or sorry, twenty twenty one, two years ago, he had season ending AC joint injury, uh, season ending. And then twenty twenty two comes back, great year, thirty one touchdowns, eight interceptions at Washington, won the Alamo Bowl. And then this year, thirty three touchdowns, nine interceptions. Kind of the, you know, while Jane Daniels won the Heisman, I would say I will remember Michael Penix Jr. more from for what he did this year, thirteen and zero season. Um, second in Heisman voting, Pac-12 champion, obviously CFP berth as the two seed. Uh, and, and it really does feel like a bit of a, a movie storyline, the way this guy's battled um, through injuries, going from a smaller school. I know it's still Big Ten P5, but Indiana's not known for their football, transfers to Washington and immediately makes that program relevant again. Yeah, I mean, just a magical run, and and you hate to see guys get injured, and it's just a part of a game. But stuff like ACLs, and, and especially twice, and then the shoulder injuries, it's pretty cool to see him come back and battle throughout that. Not not only to be playing, but to be playing at a power five at this high level, second in the Heisman, second in the country as a team. They would not be where they are today with without him. And you know, probably a guy coming in Indiana, and then Kalen DeVore getting him to go to Washington in the first place. Just the potential he's had this whole time. So to see that come to fruition where he can just stay in the field and be healthy, but also be maximizing who he is as a player, it's it's pretty sweet to watch him spin that football and electric player, but he's also just got this it factor and the ball's in his hands and just finding a way to win. He he doesn't always have the perfect game against Oregon and both of them, um, but they just find a way to win. And he's clutch. He shows up late in games. He has that composure. He's ready to roll. He wants the ball in his hands. So just a, an incredible player um, who... I mean, and case in point, they just would not be second in the country in the playoff without him. So he really is, you know, when Kalen DeBoer took this job at Washington, getting him was huge um, for building this program and getting ready. Just like we talked about Texas going to the SEC, Washington now leaving the Pac-12 or the the Big Ten or whatever we're going to call it next year, where it's going to be just so deep. A lot of teams coming in um, all coasts and areas of the country. You know, going in on this note with, uh, with Michael Penix doing what he did these past couple seasons is just unbelievable. Yeah, they just landed Will Rogers in the portal too. So we'll see if he's uh, their starting quarterback next year. You, mm-hmm. you mentioned it though, their winning ability. They just, they maybe haven't necessarily looked great in all of their games. You know, I think of the, the Arizona State game, uh, the Washington game, or sorry, the Washington State game. Um, it's the Arizona game, the Stanford game. They didn't look good. Uh, but they just, they squeak out wins and, and, and their biggest games that they've played, obviously mm-hmm. the two big wins over top 10 Oregon, a team that everyone was hyping up heading into conference championship weekend of, you don't want to play that Oregon team in, in the playoff. They might be the best team in the country. And Washington goes out and, and takes a huge lead, end up losing it, but they still win that game, uh, along the back of, of Michael Penix Jr. And David, I'm curious, how much does that winning ability that Washington has kind of make you nervous as a Texas fan. They seem to just know how to win football games. Yeah, I think that they, like you guys have said, are just very, very solid on the offensive front. Um, Their offensive line just won the, I think it's called the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in the country. Mm -hmm. And they just win games. And similar to the Longhorns, where we had a couple games against Houston or TCU, like just found a way to win even if it was ugly. And I think that that's just sort of 
grittiness of like, hey, maybe we weren't super ready for this team, but we still found a way to win um, does make me a little nervous in that. I don't know if Texas has played a team that this this solid against against or I mean against since we played Alabama when I think most people would agree that Alabama is not the same team that they were when we played them in Tuscaloosa in week two um, or against Oklahoma. But yeah, I think that they're probably the best team we've played since either of those two schools, and it makes me nervous that um, they're just so solid and find these ways to win. That is really true that. I, I forgot about some of those Texas games that they they squeaked out, like the Houston game. There was that controversial first down call. Uh, Holgerson was losing it on the sidelines. Uh, I think that was the game, right? That Ewers went down. And, it was, and then yeah. yeah, and then Murphy finished it out. Also had the yeah. the K State OT game. Yeah, that so, was okay. another one that was um, interesting as well. With I don't know. There was um, in 2021 when we were just we were up in all the games we lost and then just end up like blowing these like 10, 14 point fourth quarter leads. And whenever that happened against Kansas State, when we think we were 27 to seven going into the fourth quarter, I was like, oh, here we go again. And Murphy looked bad, but I don't know, just found the way to win. Great defensive um, stop at the six yard line in overtime. And yeah, so. That's an interesting point about both teams that might have played teams that aren't as good or aren't as highly ranked, but still found those ways to win, which I think speaks volumes to the ability of both these teams. Yeah, and the obviously, you know, the ability to get into a fourteen play. If you gotta win, you gotta win your your clunkers and and both of these teams, they've had a few clunkers, but they they get it done. Uh it is a twenty twenty two Alma Bowl rematch. Uh Alma Bowl always provides you know, entertainment. Washington won that game last year, 27 to 20. Um, and I believe Penix was, was really good in that game in terms of, you know, overall series, they played five times. Texas leads the, the overall series three to two Texas two and two in sugar bowls. Obviously the last time was, was 2019 uh, that win over Georgia, the Sam Ellinger time that they said, Texas is back. Texas is 31, 25, and two all time in bowl games. So great history uh, in bowl games. I remember they played Michigan in the 2007 Rose Bowl. Uh, Washington has never played in the Sugar Bowl, which I mean, not necessarily a big surprise considering they're in the Pac 12, which was formerly the Pac 10. Uh, Washington's last New Year's Six Bowl was that 2019 Rose Bowl win, or sorry, loss over to Ohio State. I don't remember that game hardly at all. Was Jake Browning the quarterback, Joe, for Washington in that game? 2019. He might have been. Maybe it was a little too late, but if I'm not mistaken, he might have been. And then Washington, they're 19, 20, and one all time in bowl games. So Texas has the history, obviously, uh, better program all time, but Washington has had some good recent history. Um, and yeah, that Alma Bowl, that Alma Bowl was fun. Uh, David, you have a note here. Steve Sarkisian has done a great job of motivating his players in revenge games. I think that is that is true. Players talk about being excited uh, about beating TCU and Texas Tech this year. I mean, they lost to Washington last year. A lot of the same players um, for both teams. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's something that is encouraging going into this game. After the game, after the. TCU game, I think one of the Jalen Ford from the linebackers tweeted, we don't need a hypnotoad to win or something like that. <laughs> and just, um, you know, they brought up the, I don't know if y'all saw this, but before the season, the 
Big 12 commissioner told at like this like Texas Tech luncheon told the Texas Tech coach, hey, I'm going to be in Austin for the last game of the season. Um, you better take care of business like you did last year. And then obviously Tech lost that game 65 to 7. So I yeah, think that, was, there, that was another one. I, I wasn't at the game, but I saw that they were playing that clip on the Jumbotron for the commissioner mm-hmm. to see. So I think that that's been a motivating factor for Sark going into all these games. Then obviously you saw it in the Oklahoma State game where like Ollie Gordon was the Doak Walker award winner and he got 33 yards. So mm-hmm. the revenge factor definitely plays into their minds and then encouraged about that going into this game for sure. Yeah, I like it's a good point on the on the Ollie Gordon uh, in the Big 12 championship game. We can get into the matchups. Just want to note the betting market because we talked about this with Michigan. Um, Texas opened as a four and a half point favorite. They're currently a four point favorite on, according to DraftKings. Over under is 63 and a half. Uh, you can get Texas money line at minus 185 and Washington money line at plus 154. Right now, um, it's looking like 54% of the money or sorry, 54% of the bets is on Washington. 69% of the money um, is also on Washington, but the sharp money is on Texas. So, you know, the, the people that can really swing the odds or the people that, you know, do this professionally um, that mo- the money's on Texas, which is, is something that is good as a Texas fan. Uh, you want to, you don't want to be on the side m- most times where the public money is. Um, so Boswell for Texas, you mentioned the, the, the Ollie Gordon, uh, his struggles in the Big 12 championship game. And I think that is an interesting point. That Texas front and, and go, going into the matchups, can Washington avoid being one-dimensional against this stout Texas front? You know, Washington wasn't a, a great running team this year. You know, we know that they're, they're really known for Penix Jr. and all those receivers. Dylan Johnson uh, is the Huskies' leading rusher with 201 carries, uh, just over 11 uh, uh 1100 yards and 14 touchdowns. Uh, they did win the Joe Moore award. Like you said, I would say their O-line didn't feel as dominant as um, like, you know, a Michigan or an Alabama teams that have won that award. Um, but they're certainly good in pass pro. Texas has a really good front, especially uh, their interior defensive line to Vondre Sweat going to be a first rounder. Byron Murphy, their nose tackle going to be second or third round guy. Um, and Baron Sorrell going to be a late round guy. They have good edges as well, but the the strength of that D line, Joe, is is the the interior. Um, and I think a huge key for this game and a, a big matchup is, is Washington avoiding being one dimensional and, and avoiding just you know going to Dunes, going to McMillan, but really trying to establish that run game, which is something that they were able to do against Oregon. But uh, I think if they if they can do that against Texas, they'll have a chance. But it, it's, it's it's key for them. Yeah, 100%. I, I think, you know, Dylan Johnson's quite the capable running back back there. and They've got this great offensive line and pass pro and especially good on the edges at, at tackle. But it's going to be about the guards and centers up front going against Tavondre Sweat um, and Byron Murphy. Um, they're in the middle trying to keep that, you know, keep that pocket uh, clean for Penix. So trying to establish some sort of running game up the middle on the edges with Dylan Johnson. So you're not one dimensional. You can open up play action and, and find your guys with those dynamic receivers. If you can just get them one on one coverage. Um, maybe get an extra guy in the box for Texas. You can try to beat him in a way like that. So they got to find a way to at least make it a threat. They don't have to, you know, go have that as our game plan of running the ball, but make it a threat where you can do that. You've got a good old line and then, um, you know, flip it to them where you're, you're in passing situations or you want to throw the ball. Just give him time in the pocket. Um, he's not a crazy dynamic mobile guy with all those uh, knee injuries. So 
He likes to be in the pocket of a clean one. So it's going to be a matter of, you know, give him enough time where his receivers can get open. Because if they have time, they'll find a way to, to make space out there. Um, they just need a couple extra seconds downfield and line go out. So um, getting Dylan Johnson the ball and getting him, you know, just a couple of yards every carry is going to be huge to make it a threat, at least outside of the passing game. Yeah, David, I know you, you we know about the Texas secondary, uh, maybe a little bit weaker than than the front. But it, it, would you say this this defense has been led by the, the big guys up front to Vondre Sweat, Byron Murphy uh, this season? For sure. I mean, even though the secondary is a little shaky and we have um, one of our starting safeties is not playing in the first half because he was targeting on the opening kickoff the second half of the Big 12 championship game. Um, we still have a lot of seniors on the defense, like obviously Sweat and Murphy up front um, who are projected to be high draft picks and Jalen Ford in the in the linebacker room. Um, Along with, I think, I see you have written down John A. Barron. They're all seniors, all going to get drafted and all like can lead this team and rally this team to do well. And like we talked about, like they've had some shaky sort of drives. Like everybody remembers the Oklahoma drive to end the game where Dylan Gabriel just marched down the field with no difficulty. Um, since mm-hmm. then, it's been, they've shown up in big moments. Like you said, like the Houston game was a little, controversial but um the tcu game and the kansas state game obviously they were able to show up and that's what i'm hoping that they'll be able to do because if we're able to get pressure and make Penix throw early um i think that that would help us a lot yeah i think i think you hit the nail on the head there the the key for texas is is going to be able to is going to a, stop the run game, make Washington one-dimensional, and, and get to Penix when they're in drop-back situations. Like Joe said, Washington's offensive line, the strength on that offensive line is the tackles, not necessarily the guards in the center. Uh, their two tackles are going to be early-round draft picks. Uh, guards and guards and center will we'll get picked, um, but they're not they're not at that level um, of of the left tackle and the right tackle. Roger Rosengard in the right tackle and, and Troy Fatanu, uh, the, the left tackle, are, are really the strengths. So if if Tavondre Sweat uh, can, you know gets to panic, stops the run game, that I I really do think that's huge because we know how good Washington's passing attack is. You know they're first in the country in passing offense, three hundred and forty three yards per game, whereas Texas's defense. Um, they're 94th in passing defense, but third in rushing defense. So Texas stops the run, not necessarily the pass at, at a high level. And Washington is going to be able to move the football through the air in this football game, which is probably part of the reason that the over-under is so high. Joe, I mean, the the, the wide receiver room that, that Washington has, Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, all top three round guys. Um, how like is is Texas in a lot of trouble with those guys, or do you think the the front is going to be able to kind of contain Penix and and maybe limit them? And, and like David said, it is a veteran secondary, so these guys have played a lot of games; they have a lot of reps. Um, but it's going to be probably their biggest t- biggest test yet. A hundred percent. I mean, this is a deep room. You got Odunze, Polk, McMillan, even the tight end Jack Westover. It's it's might be the best wideout room in the country. I mean, it's got it's got a case for that for sure. Um, even Texas is, is up there in, in LSU, Ohio State. But um, I mean, it's a three headed monster really on the edges. So find a way to win your matchups. You know, pick who you want to put on guys. Do you want to double Odunze? 
what do you want to do? And it, it goes back to Devondre Sweat and those guys. Can you get pressure up the middle? Um, just disrupt that pocket. Don't make it clean. Make Penix move maybe to the outside. Make him throw on the run. Stuff like that where you can get him off his game a little bit because these guys are going to win matchups. It's, it's just simple as that. This is a great wide receiver room. Um, they're, they're also upperclassmen, so they know what they're doing. So it's going to be a matter of picking your battles. It's you know They're going to find chances. They're going to get spaced. But what coverages can you do? Do you bring blitzes at the right time? How do you confuse Penix, who's been around for so long? So it's going to be finding pressure, blitzing at the right time, finding a way to stop them, um, and just winning your battles. It's, it's a veteran group, though, so they know what they're doing. Um, so uh, clear, you know, concise communication, making sure you've got your man and your assignments. It's going to be huge, to be on it, because they're, they're going to give up points. It's, it's just a matter of it might be the best offense in the country. So, you know, just pick your battles and find a way to stop at least one of these guys and force other guys to make plays. Yeah, I think I think Texas is going to have to be in, in kind of what Michigan ran against Ohio State and what was so effective is is more of a bend don't break type defense. Uh, you know they're going to be able to get they they have you know they're going to be able to get yards in the air. They have elite receivers, NFL guys. Uh, but as long as you know you bend don't break, contain the run game, don't let any big plays happen. Texas will be just fine because now I want to flip it to the Texas offense, which Texas has some really good weapons of their own. Xavier Worthy, Donnie Mitchell, uh, Jatavion Sanders, the tight end, Jordan Whittington. All those guys are going to get drafted. And, and Washington has a weak secondary in their own right. They're 90, uh, sorry, they're 120th in passing defense. So a much worse secondary actually than Texas. In Texas, we know Quinn Ewers, they have a balanced attack. Uh, 17th in passing offense, 23rd in rushing offense, 9th in total offense. It's a really good balanced offense. Um, and, and you know, it, it feels like these Texas weapons, I mean, they were too much for Alabama. So, I mean, David, just how overwhelming are, are these Texas weapons and, and how, how much fun has it been to watch these guys this year, uh, considering, you know, the, the lack of, you know, <laughs> I would say probably the the lack of fun you've had watching watching uh, Texas football over the you know the last five years. I think it's great. I think that Mitchell Adonai Mitchell is one of the biggest pickups we had in the portal this year, just because we got a couple guys in the portal last year that are either Alabama transfers, um, I think a Jaye Hall or Jaleel Billingsley that uh, Billingsley was a tight end, but trying to have like a secondary to worthy so that. They can't just focus, the defenses couldn't just focus in on Worthy. But having him be a second option, like he leads the team in receiving touchdowns. Um, and Sanders as well. I think that in the Oklahoma State game, while Worthy and Mitchell were guarded, like Sanders was always open. And Whittington's awesome too. Like he's been there since I was in college. Like he mm-hmm. injury ridden career, five star career, and just really good to see him getting some of the spotlight. Um, hopefully having some um, presence in the NFL at some point. So I think that it's been great. Like and yours has gotten better as the games have gone on. Um, obviously, if you saw the stat in the Big Twelve Championship in the first half, he had like four hundred something yards. Four touchdowns. It might have been three fifty yards, but like four touchdowns and an interception. Just if he can get to them um, and isn't confused or doesn't just go off his first read, like people will criticize him for. I think that we're in for a very uh, passing heavy matchup between the two teams. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to be um, an offensive showcase, and Ewers has been great this year. Like you said, that that Big Twelve championship game was was over right away. And Joe and I talked about it on the preview pod. Is Texas headed into that game 
knowing that they had to win big to impress the committee. Obviously, Alabama won against Georgia and they got in the playoff. Um, this this Texas offense, man, it's it's really scary. Uh, obviously, they did lose their you know their star running back Jonathan Brooks um, in the was it the TCU game, I believe. Um, yes. TCU game, uh, but it, it's been running back by committee since then. CJ Baxter, Jaden Blue, uh, and a few other guys have been getting carries for this team. Um, but David, do you think this does the running back by committee approach will be able to you know keep the offense balanced and it's not just you or throwing to these guys? Um, what have you seen from this rushing attack in 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 the game since Brooks went out and, and Washington? You know they're. Like we said, their secondary is weak, but their rushing defense is a little bit better. They're 38th in rushing defense. Um, can can they keep it? Can they keep that rushing attack uh, balance? And, and what have you seen from from the running attack since Brooks went down? I think it's been great since he's gone out, um, or I guess a lot better than maybe we expected because mm-hmm. Brooks was kind of that workhorse we had going into the year and going into that game um, already a thousand yards rushing, I believe, and had a bunch of big games and big moments, but all these running backs have been great. Like Jaden blue had been kind of buried in the depth chart in the beginning of the year. And everybody thought he was going to transfer, but he got, just got, um, I think it was from the tech game. He had this run where he was the fastest reported time for a running back this year. Just very speedy guy. Keelan Robinson, a very similar player, another Alabama transfer that Sark brought over that, um, has just been great. And Baxter is our five-star freshman, sort of. Obviously not the next Bijan, but just sort of bringing that tradition of having great Texas running backs back back from the days of like Jamal Charles and Cedric Benson. So he's been great as well. And I think that if we keep the sort of um, Sark's unique game planning and play calling that I was reading earlier that some – Big 12 defensive analyst said he just keeps you guessing. Like he, mm-hmm. if he has a tendency, he'll break it. And I think that he will sort of key in on these running backs' strengths and hopefully keep a very balanced attack, like y'all said, against this good Washington defense. Yeah, it, the strength of that Washington defense is certainly their front seven. Also, what's the deal with Bijan in the NFL? <laughs> I don't like watch a ton of NFL, but I, every single week on Twitter, I'm, I'm seeing people pissed off that he's not getting any carries in the red zone or carries in general. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's the where all the Falcons' problems lie. But I think that <laughs> one week they give him a bunch of carries and he then fumbled. But he's just an insane player. Like you'll see mm-hmm. all his highlights. Um, I think there's the one where you saw the sky cam where he caught him yeah. behind his back and then caught, got went to the end zone. He's just a crazy special player that people have talked about. Like, what if he was here this year? We probably would have beaten Oklahoma maybe. And, but had to do his best for him, especially with the uh, like short leash that running backs are given now in the NFL where they can't really make a ton yeah. of money going down the road. Yeah. For sure, he might be the last guy that we see taken that early as a running back, uh, but yeah, he's certainly <laughs> super talented. Joe, what about you? You think uh, Texas has to keep this this approach balanced, or do they just you know use the weapons that they have on the outside to to beat a weak Washington secondary? I think both OCs have to have a similar framework going in. It's it's hey, we expect Ewers and Penix to play well. We expect the wideouts to find space and opportunities and, and score at some point. It's going to be a matter of who can control the trenches just a little bit more 
and establish some sort of running game where it breaks open on the outside or you open up the play action where, where you can, can you open up that playbook a little bit more and catch these I guess weaker secondary slipping or, or one-on-one matchups when you can get them and audible into those so um, a matter of timing your blitz is right in defense and on the offense you know call and play action and, and get your one-on-one matchups at the right time so um, and for the flip side too who can make pressure up front great defensive lines good guys up the middle and on the edges so who can find pressure make the quarterbacks get out of the pocket throw on the run, throw on the run, uh, find a way to, to make a timely mistake. I think the turnover battle is going to be huge um, in this game as well. Yeah, it, I think there's going to be a lot of fireworks in this game. It's not – neither of these teams look to run the football the way the way Michigan does and, and kind of might make that game a little bit more yucky. Um, so I'm excited. This game is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, the last matchup we have here is just the contrasting offensive lines. Uh, Texas's offensive line – tied for 63rd and sacks allowed at 26 they're averaging two a game so washington there's the strength of that defense is the front seven i think getting pressures on ewers is going to be key for them similar to for uh, texas on defense washington like we said um they won the joe moore award they're tied for fourth and sacks allowed 11 uh less than one per game uh, Texas has, you know, Christian Jones, the right tackle that'll get drafted. And, and Washington has those, those tackles that'll get drafted this year, uh, as well. So I think as we always say, games are won in the trenches. Um, and, and, and this game will be too. David thoughts on, on the Texas offensive line is, is it maybe the, the weakest unit, uh, of this team this year? I'd still say the secondary is the weakest, but it is a little concerning knowing how strong the Washington front seven is. Um, it's an upgrade from years past, mm-hmm. and obviously watching the Alabama game, we won that game by dominating both sides of the ball on the line. So I think that if we can sort of get that going, because we've had good games and bad games, um, and I think that... I don't know. That'll be a very key matchup. But as I said, hopefully yours has gotten more comfortable with a dirtier pocket and Worthy and Mitchell can get open. So, yeah, I think that it's going to be a very interesting matchup, but I still think that, um, you know, we can make it work. Yeah. It's crazy how far that, that Alabama offensive line has come and really that team in general. I mean, just... It does feel like a different team than than when Texas beat them. I will still say Texas has the best win out of anybody in, in the country going to Tuscaloosa and getting a win. I don't know. Except for Alabama then beating Georgia. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I've been saying it on the pod this year. I just Georgia, they showed cracks throughout the year, and they were telling us that maybe they're not the same Georgia as they were in years past. South Carolina game. Uh, the Missouri game, the Auburn game, and then they they never obviously they won all of those games, but they were banged up in the SEC championship. So maybe obviously it's it's still an amazing win. You beat Georgia after they've won like thirty straight games. Uh, but something about going to Tuscaloosa and beating a team that's now in the playoff that most people are picking to win the whole thing. I mean, it's really impressive, even if they they're a lot uh you know a lot different than they were back in week two. Um, so. Tip my cap to Texas for that win, um, for sure. And then I don't know. You guys got any other any any other matchups you're targeting uh, in, in the game before we get into some predictions? I think just um, I, we've talked about this a little bit, but just highlighting the battle that's going to be between the Joe Moore Award winning offensive line for Washington and Tavondre Sweat Murphy, mm-hmm. 
front seven for Texas. That's going to be very, very interesting. Um, I don't know if they've played this good of an offensive line. So very interesting. But Devontae Sweat is 6'4", 340 pounds. Like, I... <laughs> I don't want to face him. <laughs> no, that's crazy. Many people that would. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a lot of fun to watch. He's a he's a very big man, um, and just off it, it Sark uh, said that Xavier Worthy and starting corner Ryan Watts should play. Xavier Worthy got injured in the Big Twelve Championship game, and then Ryan Watts he did not play in the Big Twelve Championship game. One of their corners, uh, so just injury note there. Malik Murphy he's in the portal. Um, Texas backup quarterback, and then Washington is, is pretty healthy. Uh, they have a safety that is in the portal, but he hadn't played since week 11. Um, and then also turned to their starting safety, returned from injury in the Pac 12 game. So, both teams with a month to prepare should be healthy. Uh, these games are always interesting when teams have a, a, have a whole month to prepare, you know, watch probably too much film, uh, maybe practice a little bit too much, uh, and overthink these games. Uh, so we can get into some predictions. We'll do our our spread and money line picks last. Uh, we can start with some props. Joe, is there anything that that kind of tickled your fancy when you were looking on on some of the apps? Yeah, I, I like the guys we were chatting about the third wideout for for Washington, the three headed monster McMillan. I just like him finding space in a one on one matchup. Um, if they're doubling the other guys, I like him to score. And flip side of the Texas side, maybe trying to establish the run. I like CJ Baxter to find the end zone, and then. Don't have the odds, but something with Ewers and Penix throwing. So at least, you know, one and a, over one and a half, so two touchdowns apiece uh, through the air for both of them as a parlay, too. Love it. What about you, David? Um, I think that Sark likes to throw the ball around, doesn't like to get it too predictable. So I'd like Worthy and Mitchell to score at least once. And then I even take his text further or a step further with Penix and have him at least two and a half passing touchdowns, take the over on that. Um, I think it's going to be a very pass heavy game on both sides. Okay. I like a sneaky one Penix over rushing yards. I'm sure you can get it at a really low number. We know that Texas front is going to be able to get pressure. So I think he's going to have to be moving around a lot and he might look to the outside uh, and, and kind of break an ugly pocket and scamper for three, four yards. And then boom, you have the over, or maybe he even does a little tush push um, for, for a couple yards there. I think, CJ Baxter is going to get into the end zone for Texas. And I think Dylan Johnson is going to get in the end zone for Washington. So two running backs to score and Penix over rushing yards, which pro- I don't have the number in front of me. It depends on what state you live in. If you, if you can get these odds, but it's probably like three, four or five yards. I, I like the over there. And honestly, Ewers may be even over rushing yards. Cause I think uh, both fronts are, are going to be able to get some pressure in this game um, as well. Okay, over under predictions. Like we said, the line is at sixty three and a half, which is is quite high. Um, Joe, where are you looking? I'm going to take the under, but only slightly. I think it's still going to be fireworks and high scoring. I just think it barely goes under, kind of like the Pac twelve championship. I think it was like a point or two, and I, I think a similar thing. It was just a timely stop. There's an interception, you know, a field goal here or there that just flips us a little bit. So I'm over in the other game, and I think just a slight under here, but I still think fireworks. Love it. David? I agree with you, Joe. I think the final score is going to be something along the 31 to 28 um, sort of area, cause, mm-hmm. and I think that there will be a big stop down the stretch by one of the two teams that seals the game, um, make the defense show up. I can see I can see either way 
Um, and just since you guys both went under, I'll take the over. I, 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 I don't love it because I do think there, there could be a few sacks given up in this game and, um, maybe a couple turnovers resulting from that, maybe a couple ugly errant throws, but maybe a couple defensive touchdowns as well. So, or, or one defensive touchdown. So give me, give me the over maybe final score, like 30 or like, yeah, 38, 34, that would be an over, that'd be 77 points. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm going, I'm going over. I think, I think this is going to be out of the two, maybe doesn't have like the, I don't know, the, it feels like the Michigan Alabama game is getting more hype. This this is more of the college football, if, if you know, purest game. Um, but I I think this game is going to be certainly more fun to watch on the eyes from a neutral fan perspective. Um, mm-hmm. And with that, with that, let's get into our predictions against the spread and on the money line. Joe, where are you going in this game? Second college football playoff semifinal in the Sugar Bowl: New Orleans, Louisiana, Washington versus Texas. I'm going to roll with Bevo and the burnt orange van. I'm going to take the Longhorns. I, I, I just think Ewers is going to be calm, cool, collected, composed in that pocket. They're going to find ways to get back to the ball in that that running back by committee. And wideouts are going to step up. And I just think that defense is a little bit better and can make a stop, make a timely interception or force field goals. So I'm going to go Texas and I'm also going to take them to cover with the points as well. All right. You're on the horns. That's where the sharp money is. That's where the sharp money is. So I've got a sharp better over here. David. Are you going home? I mean, where are you leaning here? What's what's your pick? I'm kind of, like I said, I think the final score is going to be 31-28, Texas over Washington. So I take Washington on the spread, but Texas money line. Um, and there'll be some sort of stop or, inter- or turnover or something that end to end the game. And there's hopes on the Longhorns, but I definitely don't want to underestimate the Huskies because they've had an insane season. Yeah. I- this game can go either way. Um, Washington, like we talked about, has the ability to win football games. They win ugly. Um, they win pretty sometimes. Beat Oregon twice. Uh, I think this is, is going to be a close game. And so with that, I will take Washington plus four. I think Texas wins it on a last second field goal, um, 38-35. Um, Close game, close game, fun game. It's late. I think it starts at game starts at eight, yeah, eight forty five Eastern on ESPN on New Year's Day. So most people have work the next day. I'll be curious to see the ratings on this one. Obviously, the Texas market is is massive, and there'll be a ton of Texas fans watching this game um, and Washington. But people elsewhere around the country, it's kind of late with work coming up the next day. It's not a New Year's Day like last year. I don't know if you guys remember that that Ohio State Georgia kick. Uh, as New Year's Day or as New Year's whatever was happening, uh, the guy shanked it left. None of that, none of that this year. But this is gonna be a late game. Gonna be a ton of fun, uh, David. I'm sure you're nervous, obviously. Um, but it is great. To, it really is good for the sport to have Texas playing in these these massive these massive playoff games. Yeah, I I took off work the next day because win or lose, I don't really want to go to work after. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. whatever happens. Um, so absolutely very excited but like you said nervous because it's not like y'all in michigan or other fan bases alabama georgia clemson that have had experience in this in the recent history so uh my actually funny enough grew up an a&m fan um and because my dad went to a&m and no offense to any of your listeners listen to a 
like A&M, but just very used to mediocre football when I was a oh, freshman yeah. in college. So I was like, oh, why are people so upset that we're not that good? <laughs> um, yeah. So it's fun to finally be at a spot where people expect us to be. Yeah, it's, it's they're back where they belong. Absolutely. Oh, back where they belong. Sorry. Um, and yeah, I'm really excited for this one. The, the wait is the worst part as a fan, obviously waiting for the Michigan. We've had to wait like a full month just to think about this game. It's in the back of your head, you know, you're opening presents on Christmas and, and you're still kind of nervous, you know, thinking about this game in the back of your head. So uh, I'm really excited. David, thanks for coming on. It was a lot of fun. I uh, appreciate the, the insight on, on the Texas Longhorns and kind of, you know, everything that they've, they've accomplished this season. Yeah, appreciate it. It was fun, fun getting to talk ball with you guys. Absolutely. Joe, thank you as always. Uh, excited for these games. Yeah, yeah, excited for them. One last note, I'm excited for the uniform matchup too. Again, two mm. contrast of colors, purple versus the burnt orange. And I think a small note too, I think Texas will travel a little bit better in terms of fan base and a little bit easier to get from Texas over to uh, to New Orleans, a little bit harder for, for Washington fans. So keep an eye on that. But Another great uniform matchup and just two different colors. That'll be cool to see from aerial shots as well inside the dome there. Absolutely. Two, two classic matchups in the playoff. Um, and we previewed both of them. Got, got you guys about two hours um, for the two games. So really appreciate you guys listening. Obviously, David, for coming on. But we'll certainly be back recapping these games as they happen. Probably be back on the 3rd uh, of January. So, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed this one. And we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace out.